0: You are listening to a sermon from Linworth Road Church. For more information about Linworth Road Church, please visit www.linworthroadchurch.com. Good morning. How you guys doing today? Did you guys have a good Thanksgiving? I know for a fact That all of us in here, collectively, um, within the last couple of days, we've eaten a lot of turkey together. I don't know how many turkeys, but we have eaten a lot of turkeys together. And I don't know if you know this or not, but turkey has this chemical in it called tryptophan, and it makes you sleepy. And since we've eaten a lot of turkey, I am assuming that there is a temptation for some of us to doze off this morning. And uh, I want to encourage you to not do that. I want to encourage all of us to make a collective effort to stay awake. I'll do my best not to bore you this morning. I know some of you, it's hard for you to stay awake most Sundays anyway, but um, if you see your neighbor, uh, uh, neighbor dozing off, just give him a little elbow into the rib, and that'll that'll do the trick. Um, I'm just kidding. I know you guys are going to stay awake. Uh, my name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here at Lenworth, if you're new, with us this morning. Uh, I'm normally up here doing the music, but uh, today I get the cool opportunity to take us through Uh, This next section in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to be in chapter 12 again. So if you want to grab your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 12, that's where we're going to be. We've been in Luke chapter 12 for a while now. In fact, this is our fourth message in Luke 12, and there's actually going to be five total. So we've been just slowly working through this chapter over the last few weeks. And if we look at this chapter as a whole... Um, It would be very easy to think, like, there's just a lot of stuff going on in this chapter. Jesus is kind of hitting on a lot of different things as we work through this chapter. I want to make the argument to, to you this morning that while that may be true, that there's one big call here in Luke chapter 12 that Jesus is calling you and I to, that Jesus is calling his audience to, his followers to. This call that Jesus is offering to us this morning is this call for us to be good stewards with our lives. Jesus is hitting on the issue of stewardship in Luke chapter 12. If we back up to verse 1 and go through verse 12, we see that Jesus calls us to be good stewards with the gospel. Jesus calls us to uh, profess and proclaim his name to all men, and he says that if we do this, he's going to proclaim us to the Father. And then uh, if we jump down to verse 13, we saw a few weeks ago that Pastor Chris worked through the parable of the rich fool. And really, this is a parable showing us what it looks like to be good stewards with our possessions, with our material things that we have in this life. And then last week, Alex, our youth ministry director, took us through the next section where we see Jesus offering words of comfort and assurance to not worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. And here, Jesus is calling us to even steward our emotions well. He shows us that God is faithful, that God is good, and that God is our provider, that we need not to worry about what we're going to eat and what we're going to wear. So there's a call there to steward our, even our emotions well. And so Jesus hits on this topic or this issue of stewardship from a lot of different angles. And what we're going to see in our passage today is he's going to hit on stewardship again from a different angle. And so with that, will you take your Bibles? We're going to be in Luke chapter 12, as I said. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's going to be on page 871. Will you stand with me as we read the passage for this morning? We're going to be in verses 35 through 48. Luke chapter 12, 35 through 48. It says this. Stay dressed for action. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, you are, telling, or he said, Lord are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this day that you've created, Lord. We pray that you would help us to rejoice and be glad in this day. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, I would trust and be confident in the words that you've given me for this morning and trust that you want to communicate something to this body, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you're telling us. Lord, you would give us obedient hearts to follow what you're calling us to, Lord. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill this room, you would fill our bodies, our minds, and our hearts to hear your word and see it clearly this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You could take a seat. This is kind of a crazy passage, right? I mean, if we read this passage... At face value, it seems like Jesus is concerned about our clothes falling off. He gets some weird joy about us getting this big electric bill because he's asking us to keep our lights on. And towards the end, he, it seems like he's comparing himself to this mob boss that dismembers people and roughs people up. Right? I mean, what is going on in this passage? Well, we shouldn't take this passage at face value. If we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus over and over again, uses different forms of communication and different ways to teach uh, his audience. One of the things that he does in this passage is he uses a lot of imagery, a lot of word pictures, and he uses parables. And so this shows us that we should not take this passage at face value, but that Jesus is using imagery to communicate something to his audience. And so Jesus is going to get into this issue of stewardship in our passage today. And this passage shows us uh, something that Jesus is wanting to communicate about stewardship. He's showing us that he's dealing with his second coming. Now, this is not going to be a message on eschatology, on end times, about when Jesus is coming back, about how he's coming back, about the millennium, and all of that stuff. Okay? But I do want to stress, and I do want to stress the importance of how, much, or, uh, how important it is for us as believers to know, trust, and believe, and hope that Jesus is coming back. We're kicking off the Advent season, and it's a time of remembering uh, the nation of Israel, anticipating and waiting the coming of the Messiah, And we are just like the Israelites. We are in a period of time where we are anticipating and waiting for and hoping in the coming of the Messiah to right all wrongs, to deal with sin and death once and for all, to judge the righteous and unrighteous alike. This is a true thing that will happen at some point in the future. And as Christians, Jesus is showing us we need to be ready. We need to be waiting In fact, this is the first thing that Jesus turns our attention to. Jesus is saying, I want you to be good stewards in your lives in light of my second coming. And he shows us two big ways in this passage that we can do that. And this is going to kind of be our outline this morning. Jesus here in the passage shows us that a good, faithful steward is someone who is waiting and ready for their master's return. The second thing that he shows us in this passage is that a good steward is someone who is waiting and ready to serve and love others. So this is going to be our outline for this morning. And so let's jump back to our first point that a good faithful steward is someone who is waiting and ready for the coming of the Lord. There's three different pictures in this passage that Jesus gives us to show us what it looks like to be waiting and ready. The first two pictures he gives us, we see it in verse 35. The first thing that he says is he says, stay dressed for action. Again, Jesus isn't worried about our clothes falling off here. He's not not worried about us staying dressed. He's using a word picture. In fact, a lot of our translations in the Bible use this phrase, to gird up your loins. I got to be honest with you, this phrase has always kind of made me laugh a little bit inside. And I also think about steak a lot when I hear this phrase. And then I get hungry. And so I'm hungry right now. This phrase is not talking about meat. What does it mean to gird up your loins? Well, not only is Jesus using imagery here, he's using language that is familiar to his audience. we got to remember that Jesus is talking to a specific group of people at a specific time in a specific place. And in this specific time and in this specific place, it was very common for men to wear these long tunics that went down to their feet. They were comfortable, they were breezy on a hot, dry day. And while they were comfortable and while they were breezy, they weren't super practical for a man who had to go into battle, for a man who was doing physical labor or physical activity. And so what men did is they wore a belt or they wore a girdle and they would grab the hem of their Uh, tunic and they would tuck it up into their belt or their girdle. This is what girding up your loins means. It's a sign that a person is waiting in anticipation. They're ready for action. And so Jesus uses this picture. There's a diagram right there in case you men you find yourself in this situation one day. This is a how-to on how to gird up your loins But Jesus is using this picture saying, if you want to be a faithful servant who is waiting for their master's return, gird up your loins. When the master comes home, if you have your tunic down, it shows me that you're not ready, that you haven't been waiting on me, that you got too comfortable, you let your guard down. I got a funny slash sad story uh, about girding up your loins uh, in my own life. About five or six years ago, I was at the Walmart on Bethel Road. It was summertime out. It was hot. I don't like summer that much because I sweat a lot. And I had flip-flops on, shorts and a t-shirt, pretty standard outfit for me in the summertime. And I'm on my way out to my car at the Walmart down the road, and I'm, I check a text message on my phone. And so I'm kind of like just immersed in my phone, and out of nowhere I see this hand come out of the corner of my eye. And before I can even realize what happened, my phone was out of my hand, it got snatched out of my hand, and I look up, and this dude is like 40 yards in front of me. So naturally, I chase after this person. But I have flip-flops on. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if I have flip-flop, flip-flops on. If I had the best running shoes on, on my best day, I am slow as molasses in the wintertime. There's no way I'm catching this guy. But the reality is, is I was not waiting and ready for that moment in my life. And I'm not saying that you gotta be on guard for someone to steal your phone at any moment, but it's just this picture of how this situation happened in my life and I just was not prepared and I I was not dressed for the occasion to even be able to run after this guy and for it to even be a competition. Well, Jesus gives us a second picture in our passage and it's still in verse 35. He says, to keep your lamps burning, to keep your lamps lit. And again, Jesus here is using Uh, language that his audience would understand. It's very common in this day for a master to leave his house and to say, servants I'm going to leave. I don't know when I'm going to be back. I'm going to a wedding. I'm going to a uh, festival. I expect you to keep the lights on for me when I come home. I don't care if it's in the first watch, the second watch, or the third watch, which literally means the whole night I want the lamps to to stay on. That's one way I know that you're going to be waiting for me and ready for me to come home. I'm going to be able to see the house. I'm going to know that you're up. And you're doing what you need to be doing. And so Jesus says, hey, keep your lamps lit. All right. This third picture that Jesus gives us, we see it in verse 39 through 40. He says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Jesus hits on this issue of a good and faithful servant as someone who is waiting, but not just waiting around, they're ready. There's a little bit of a difference there. Okay? He uses this analogy of a homeowner who gets their house broken into. The reality is is that 99.99% of the time, if a a thief breaks into someone's house, they have no idea when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, but there's a reality for that homeowner that they could be ready, they could be prepared for that, or they could not be ready. In fact, the only person I know of in the history of humanity that was ready and did know when a thief was coming was Kevin McAllister from Home Alone, (laughs) you know, He heard the wet bandits outside. They're going to come at this time of night and they're going to do these sort of things and he was ready. He had all these booby traps set up and they weren't able to come in. But most of the time, we we don't get that luxury. Jesus uses this picture to say, I want you to be ready. And this picture that Jesus uses shows us a couple of things. I said earlier that this passage is dealing with the second coming of Jesus and this is how we know that this is what this passage is about. Jesus uses this language of a thief in the night. We see this language used over and over again in the New Testament. Peter standing there with Jesus, he hears Jesus using this language and it's kind of cool. We see later on in 2 Peter chapter 3, he uses this language. In verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul He says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The thing that I think that's cool about that is Paul wasn't standing there when Jesus said this. Paul came onto the scene later on and so I'm kind of imagining these moments where Peter and the other apostles are there with Paul and they're like, you know, telling them all about what Jesus taught them, all about um, what Jesus commanded them and then, you know, the second coming comes up and Peter's like, yeah, you know, I remember Jesus telling us that he's going to come again and it's going to be like a thief in the night and Paul hears this language and it sticks with him so much so that he writes about it in 1 Thessalonians. And then we see Jesus two other times in the book of Revelation in chapter 3 and chapter 16 say that I'm coming and it's going to come like a thief in the night. So we can know for sure that this passage is dealing with the second coming of Christ. The other thing that this passage shows us is it shows us the nature of how Jesus is going to come. He's going to come like a thief in the night. He's making it clear to his followers, it's not up to you, it's not your business to know when I'm coming, what hour I'm coming, what time I'm coming, all you need to know is that I'm coming and you need to be ready. You need to live your lives in such a way that you know without a, beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm coming and you need to be ready. We see Peter in Acts 1, he, he tries to get information from Jesus. Hey, when are you coming back? When are you fulfilling the kingdom like you promised? And Jesus is like, Look, Peter, I shared a lot of intimate things with you. I've brought you in uh, to a lot of kind of top secret information between me and my father. But this piece of information, you don't need to know about it. You don't need to worry about it. Only the Father knows. Don't be concerned about dates and times and seasons. Just know that I am coming back and you need to be ready. So Jesus uses this picture to show us not only do we need to be waiting, we need to be ready. And as I was thinking about this picture that Jesus gives us, I was thinking about a babysitter. I have three kids, and uh, my wife and I love going on dates, and so if anyone wants to babysit our kids tonight, uh, just let me know after church. We'd like to go on a date tonight. Um, Just kidding. But you know, when you think about a babysitter, this babysitter will come over to the home of the parents, the homeowners. And the homeowners, the parents, entrust Everything that's in their house to this babysitter, all of their things, all of the food, their kids, and there's an expectation from the parents that this babysitter will faithfully do the things that they want them to do. I want you to feed the kids, I want you to bathe the kids, I want you to play with the kids, I want you to put the kids down to bed by the time we get home, I want the house to be cleaned by the time we get home, and honestly, it'd be great if you could leave right away when we get home. Parents don't want babysitters hanging around for an hour or so after they get home from a date. And I'm not going to explain why, they just don't want that, okay? But there's a reality where the babysitter, they could know in their mind, yeah, the parents are coming back, I don't really know when, but I'm just going to wait around. I'm going to wait around for them to come. And in that waiting, they could do none of the things that the parents asked them to do. The house could be a mess, the kids could still be awake, there's nothing more frustrating than when a kid comes up to the parent when they get home and they're like, I'm hungry, I want to eat some food. That tells the parent like, oh, babysitter didn't feed them dinner. And so Jesus is saying, hey, in your waiting, be ready. Do these things that I'm asking you to do. It's kind of like these crazy preppers. You guys ever seen these preppers, these doomsday preppers? They know the end of the world is coming. They, their whole life is immersed in the end of the world. They believe that the end of the world is gonna happen at any time. They don't know how, they don't know when, but they are convinced that it's gonna happen. And so it changes the way that they live their life. It changes the way that they act. They begin to buy uh, food and store it in their basement. They store up on weapons. They dig bunkers in their backyard that they can live in for 10 years. They do crazy things. And while Jesus is not calling us and, and, and asking us to live this way, to buy a bunch of guns and dig holes in our yard, he's asking us to live with the reality that his coming is going to happen. And he's asking us to be vigilant in our waiting and in our readiness. Don't get tired, don't let your guard down, stay dressed for action, keep the lights on, and be ready. This is what Jesus is asking us to do. Now, I know up to this point, you might be sitting in your chair, your pew, and you're saying, okay, Nick, this sounds great, but you haven't really given us any, like, ways that we can do this. Like, you haven't really shown us how we do this. And you're right. Up to this point, it's been kind of this big, vague picture of what stewardship looks like. Honestly, I think what Jesus is calling us here to in this first point isn't so much about um, actual action steps, but more about a mindset that we have as human beings. I made the argument that chapter 12 is so much about stewardship, and it, and it is. We went over the ways that it is. But I also believe that right alongside this theme of stewardship in Luke chapter 12, there's this theme of Jesus calling his believers to have an eternal mindset, an eternal perspective on this life that he's given us. And part of that eternal mindset, that eternal perspective that we have, is this knowledge that Jesus is coming back. This belief that Jesus is coming back should um, fill our whole being and and should flow out of us into our actions. It's this idea in theology that our orthodoxy shapes our orthopraxy. Those are two big theological words that basically means our beliefs, our convictions, ought to shape how we live and how we act in this life. And so Jesus here, in this first point, he's not saying, here's five points on how you can be a good steward while you wait. It's actually what we're going to get into in the next point. It's not five points, but um, we get into a way, not all the ways, but a way that Jesus shows us how our lives should change as we live and operate in this reality. This first point is all about getting his followers to buy into this truth that I'm coming back, and I need you to be ready. I need to see that you are a faithful servant in my household. So trust me that I am coming back. So it's in the second point that Jesus starts to get into the practical application of how we actually live this out. Jesus shows us in this passage that a good and faithful servant is one who is waiting and ready to serve and love others. Let's check out verses 44 through 46. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him into pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Some of you are like, Nick, where are you getting the second point from? I I don't see it here. Well, first what I want to do is I I want to address some potential questions that might be coming up in your minds as we read this passage because I had these questions as I was studying this week. I felt a tension like rising up as I worked through this passage. Who in the world is this unfaithful servant? Who is this person that is so bad that Jesus says, the master's going to cut him into pieces and cast him out with the unfaithful? It sounds like a terrible fate for this person. Is Jesus actually saying that as followers of Christ, as Christians, if we blow this thing, this is what's going to happen to us? Well, there are some scholars who argue this. They say that since this person is a member of the household of the master, that Jesus is, in fact, talking about and dealing with Christians. And I wholeheartedly disagree with this for two reasons. The Bible doesn't teach that, and the gospel does not teach that. This argument doesn't hold up well because it assumes that salvation is based on things that we do well and things that we do wrong. And that's not what the gospel teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. No other way. And so that can't be Jesus is talking about and so who who is Jesus talking about here? Well the best argument that I've seen is comes from a guy named Daryl Bach. He wrote a really great commentary on the book of Luke. If you ever want to do a really in-depth study of the book of Luke it's it's a great commentary to have. He makes the argument that the people that will be dismembered and cast out with the unfaithful are people who are associated with the household. People who look like servants, act like servants, do things that the servants do, talk like servants, maybe even have some responsibility. But in the end, internally, there's no affection, there's no love, and there's no respect for the master and the authority that the master has over him. There's no respect for the master's possessions and things. And what ends up happening in the end, because this servant has this mindset, the the servant begins to treat the master's things as his own. As means to his own end, he, he puts himself in the position of the master. We see this in, in, in this example that Jesus gives us. He's not prepared, he's not waiting for the master to come home, he's not ready for the master to come home. And we get some examples in the New Testament of people who are like this. Bach, he, he Daryl Bach goes on to say in his commentary, he says, one person who fits this description is Judas. One of the twelve who walked with Jesus and participated in his household with, re- with responsibility, yet was a devil. We see this in people like uh, Ananias and Sapphira in the book of Acts. I don't have time to get into that story, but you can go check it out later. We see it with people um, that Paul addresses in 1 Corinthians 11, who use the Lord's Supper for their own pleasure and for their own good. Jesus here is talking about imposters in the church, people in the church who look like Christians, sound like Christians, talk like Christians, go to small group, maybe even have uh, serving responsibilities in church, but there's no affection, there's no love, there's no relationship with their master, the Lord. There's no respect for the authority that he has over them as their master. And what happens in the end for people like this in our life today, is they make themselves their own master. They treat the master's things as if their own. We see this in this passage. The man sees the master's food as, as his own. He, he eats it all and drinks all the wine and he gets drunk. He treats the servants as his own servants and treats them however he wants them to treat them. And he ends up beating them up. And so where is Jesus getting this idea that the way that we steward our lives well in light of Jesus' return is by how we treat people well. people who are waiting and ready to serve others? Well, when we look at the word stewardship, it's actually an interesting word, and it's a word that gets talked about a lot in the church. It's a word that a lot of times when we're talking about stewardship in the church, we're talking about financial stewardship, stewardship with our time, Stewardship with our possessions. And these are all good reasons to talk about stewardship. But it's not the full picture of what a steward is. If you look up the word steward in a dictionary, every definition for the word steward, there's some type of service that happens in the definition. So you think of a flight stewardess. What's their job? Their job is to get you on the plane. Their job is to help you find your seat. Their job is to take you through the safety protocol, even though no one listens to that. They're playing video games and listening to music already. Their job is to serve food to you. And their job is to help you if you have any needs whatsoever on the plane. Their job literally is to take care of people, to serve people, and help people. I believe that Jesus mentions how this servant who fails at being a steward for the master, I believe that he mentions how he treats people to show us that faithful stewardship in this life in light of Jesus' second return has so much to do with how we treat people. He's saying, listen, if you want to be waiting, if you want to be ready, if you want to be faithful, don't view other people around you as means to your own end. Don't view other people around you if they're not a means to your own end, they're a roadblock to your own end, and so you just get them out of your life. View people as image bearers of God. View people as opportunities to serve and to lay your life down for them. A good and faithful steward and light of the return of Christ is someone who is waiting and ready to love and serve others. And so in closing this morning, I I just wanted to ask a couple of questions. I had a little bit of a hard time with the application here because um, I've seen so many times in our church, I've seen people mobilize and uh, organize ways to help and serve others in, in this community and in the community around us. I mean, we just had a Thanksgiving food drive, and the amount of meals that we got was overwhelming. We didn't even, I don't even know if we came close to handing out all the meals that we got. It was amazing. And so I'm encouraged by that, but I also know that we have room to grow, right? There's always room to grow. And so one question I want to ask that I think this passage begs us to ask is, how often do you think about and live in the reality of Jesus coming back? How often do you think about that? How often do you dwell on that truth that, man, Jesus could come back any moment? Wouldn't it be crazy if he came back, like, right now as we're giving, like, t- having this message on Jesus' return? That'd be insane. The crazy thing for the people in this passage is they never, in their physical life, they never saw Jesus come back. And Jesus is kind of saying, like, listen... Whether I come back in your life or in a thousand years from now, I don't care. Like, I want you to be ready and I want you to be waiting and I want you to live in the reality that I could come back at any time. And so how often do you dwell on Jesus coming back? How often do you shift your perspective and your mindset from living in this reality and seeing this reality and this life as the ultimate be-all, end-all of our existence And turning our eyes and our mindset onto eternity and onto the kingdom and onto the truth that Jesus is coming back. And then the last question I want to ask is, how often do you let that belief and that mindset change how you operate in this life? How you live your life? I know this is a hard thing for me. Folks, I, I think by nature we are just not loving, merciful people looking for ways to serve others. That's not in our nature. It's only by the grace of God that we can do these things well. One of the things I like doing, and I don't know why I like doing it, is I like to read comment sections of like videos that I watch or news articles that I read. And I don't know why, because most of the time I read the comment sections and I end up being frustrated afterwards. And one of the reasons why I end up being frustrated afterwards, especially when I read an article from like Christianity uh, Today or the Gospel Coalition, I read the comments and all I see is arguing and bickering from Christians with other Christians about petty theological issues. I see so many moments in our culture where we're not loving. We don't look for opportunities to see the good in others and to serve others. We look at each other's differences and we argue with one another. And I, I believe that this really grieves the Lord when, when we act this way. And it shows the Lord, like, we're, we're just not ready. We're not living in the reality that he is coming back at any moment. And I've had to ask myself these questions because, like most people, I am not by nature a loving, merciful person that is looking for ways to serve others. It really takes me living in the spirit, walking with the Lord, trusting that he is coming back to do this, like, okay. And so, I I feel like the only thing that I know how to do, and and this is what I want to close with, is just to pray to the Lord for strength. And pray to the Lord for clarity in our minds to constantly be dwelling on his second coming. So in closing, will, will you bow your heads and pray with me as we, as we pray this prayer? Band, you can come up. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you call us to do hard things that you're not satisfied with us just sitting on the sidelines, just waiting. But you want us to be in the game. You want us to be ready. You want us to be like that quarterback, that backup quarterback who, if the first string quarterback gets hurt, we're, just, we're ready to get in the game and, and the team doesn't skip a beat. And Lord, we acknowledge, we recognize that we cannot do this on our own at all. Father, we need your help. Lord, we need you to help us turn from this temporal living and this reality of, of all of these temporal things surrounding us and we need your help to help us shift our eyes onto eternity, onto your kingdom. Lord, we need your help to live with the intensity and the vigilance of being waiting and ready for you to come back, excited for you to come back. Lord, I pray that we would be people who are excited about you coming back, who are wanting you to come back right now, Lord. Not people who are dreading it, not people who are worried about it, but people who are excited, Lord, because that means your kingdom is coming here to this earth. So, Lord, we we stand before you, we we proclaim that apart from you, Lord, we, we can do nothing. Apart from you, we can do no good. And so we ask and we pray that you would help us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do uh, mighty works in our lives. We would be able to hear your voice, Lord. Lord, and we would be obedient to your voice. Father, we love you. We thank you for this series. We thank you for... This passage, we thank you that you let your word pierce our hearts. We let your word convict us, Lord, because you love us. You care about us. You don't want us to fail in this, Lord. You want us to succeed and to do well. Help us, Lord. We love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.